My next guest, Cam Ayala, gained television fame when he revealed as a contestant on The Bachelorette that he suffered from the chronic disease lymphedema. Cam's medical journey resulted in the amputation of his right leg above the knee. Cam continues to advocate for the lymphedema community and has now recently begun his journey as a new amputee. I am thrilled to introduce Cam Ayala. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski, and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. Cam, how you doing? Good morning, Rick. How are you, brother? Good to see you. So good to see you, and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you had a busy morning. Um, you know, Cam, your your story in particular really fascinates me. Obviously, the first thing I want to ask you is, how are you doing right now? How are you feeling? And how many days post-op are you right now? Okay, so for starters, I am officially 30 days post-op, so right at about a month. Okay. Had it on uh, June 22nd, and it was above knee amputation, and it was planned, so it wasn't like it was a result of some traumatic injury or circumstance. So right. one month out, um, how am I doing? Uh, comes in waves in terms of you know things with the phantom pains and phantom sensations, which I'm sure we'll get into later in the conversation. So adjusting to that, uh, adjusting just to like mobility in general with my forearm crutches and you know, navigating and still trying to be as active as possible, uh, but still understanding some of the limits. And then emotionally and spiritually, um, you know, there's days or there's moments where I can feel pretty down, but I've developed a way of kind of snapping out of it, right? Because I think it's important for people to feel all of the emotions, but you don't want to stay in those dark places. They can serve as a good point of reference as you get to a better headspace um, as part of the recovery. Uh, process. So uh, overall, I'm feeling really blessed. I'm feeling energized and excited for each milestone ahead. Yeah. And, you know, when I became an amputee six years ago, there are, it's a good way to put it, there are so many unknowns. And everyone's journey is very different. So I usually get inundated by new amputees, newer amputees, struggling amputees, how is this going to go? How is this going to feel? Where is that going to lead me? And I think my answer typically is it's different for everyone. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your, your limb is going to change differently. Uh, Prosthetics and the evolution of how it feels to wear a prosthesis is going to change over time. And for some, it's an accelerated situation. You're a young guy and I know you're very fit, so you you will probably, you know, I don't want to jinx you, but probably <laughs> you are going to acclimate very quickly. Now, when someone comes to me and I know they have, let's say, comorbidities or they just struggle physically in general, usually that's when I give advice of it, it's time to start doing the work of getting yourself physically well, stronger, more mobile. Do all of those things because that will help you in this journey, which is right. which can be grueling at times. And yeah. you know, me personally, being fifty three years old, I spent about two years getting to what I considered to be normal. 
And when I say normal, mm -hmm. I can work, I can play, I can wear a prosthesis all day and not really be suffering in any way. Yes, there's moments where it's a little uncomfortable. You know, I wear an adjustable, so I have to loosen it a little bit. But where I had a confidence and a sense of empowerment about being an amputee, like this is very normal. I think your medical journey is, to be quite honest, Cam, it's extraordinary to me. It's, it's, it's very long. It's, it's sort of vast in nature. And I do want to talk about all of the bachelor things, let's call them, or the right. bachelor sure. world, nation. Sure. I, I do want to mm -hmm. get into that because I do think sure. it's very, very relevant to mm -hmm. your particular journey. Um, Absolutely. In, in, and, you know, don't take this the wrong way. In my mind, not necessarily to sensationalize it, but more to see it as just a component of what I've noticed in, in following you, watching you on YouTube, reading articles. It, it was really part of your evolution just as a person. So going back Completely. to the medical piece, um, you you had lymphedema, um, and you still have lymphedema. This is something that is still prevalent in your in your system, correct? This is a chronic chronic illness. Can you explain some of the background with that? Absolutely. So um, I'll just kind of for the listeners give a high level kind of a ten thousand foot view of what lymphedema is, mm -hmm. so you have a better kind of understanding as I kind of go back in time and explain, you know, my, my journey with different milestones. So high level, everybody has a lymphatic system, right? And uh, your lymph vessels are like each one is about the size of a single hair follicle. So it's really, really small. And they run parallel to your vascular system to your veins. And they have a very similar function in terms of pumping and moving fluid from the base of your toes all the way up to your upper extremity. And there's even lymphatic fluid in our brains. Hmm. So basically, when you have lymphedema, that means you have a compromised lymphatic system. And it can be anywhere in your body. Uh, typically, it's most prevalent in an extremity, whether it's an arm or a leg. But uh, patients can have it in their stomachs, in their genitals, head and neck, really anywhere. Hmm. So the two types of lymphedema are primary and secondary. So I actually have primary lymphedema, which is the uh, hereditary side. So I was actually born with it, okay. but I didn't start presenting with uh, the symptoms of swelling, chronic swelling until I was 11 years old. And then on the other side, there's the secondary lymphedema, which that's a lot more common in our world. Uh, you may have had friends or family or people in your community, specifically uh, patients who've had breast cancer. It's very common for breast cancer patients to have lymph nodes removed under their arms or to have a mastectomy or uh, any type of chemo mm -hmm. or radiation or any other surgical intervention. So when you have that compromised lymphatic system, basically it does not move that fluid from top to or from bottom to top the way that it's supposed to circulate. So then basically that extremity or wherever it's affected starts to basically build up that fluid. And it's not fat and it's not water, it's lymph fluid which is rich in protein. So one of the other issues with lymphedema patients, other than having a swollen leg or arm, is we're very prone to reoccurrences of infection mm. because our lymphatic system is correlated with our immune system. So if you think about it, if your pipes aren't 
properly move in the water and next thing you know you're going to spring a leak or things are going to flood so that's basically kind of high level lymphedema uh, again i have primary and my symptoms started when i was age 11 going through puberty and the growth spurts because i'm about six four so when i hit that first growth spurt my legs were growing pretty fast and my right leg ended up being an inch and a half shorter than my left and that was kind of the wow. first triggering um, symptom that my parents knew something was off because when I was playing like YMCA basketball, you can picture me like running up and down the court, but I was almost kind of limping because my hips weren't aligned because my right leg was shorter. So when we went to orthopedic surgeon just to get some x-rays, they, they said, yeah, you can see here very clearly that there's a discrepancy in the right and left. And we think you may have bone cancer because we see some spotting on your, on your femur. Yeah. So that's what caused them to do the uh, initial bone biopsy surgery, where they just basically took about a pinky's width fragment of my right femur to basically run the pathology, make sure it wasn't cancerous. And thank goodness it wasn't. But as I was recovering from that biopsy surgery and starting physical therapy and trying to get my strength and mobility back, the swelling just got worse and worse each day. And it took about a full year for me to finally get the diagnosis of primary lymphedema. And that's me living in Houston, Texas, which is the really largest hot. medical center in the world. Yeah. So having accessibility to some of the top specialists, and it's still taking a year. Now, granted, this was back in 2001. So even still to this day, there's not a whole lot of uh, understanding of the lymphatic system, which is why it continues to be this medical mystery for a lot of uh, doctors and therapists and nurses. So just one more thing, and, and then I'll let you take the next question. There's over 10 million Americans that suffer with lymphedema. And to give you kind of a point of reference, that's more than AIDS, MLS, and Parkinson's patients combined. Wow. So 10 million. So, and it's also the most understudied uh, system in the medical school curriculum. They only cover it for about 15 to 30 minutes in a four-year period. So it makes sense why these doctors aren't properly uh, educated and informed. So when they start their residency and start seeing patients, They'll just say, oh, you're fat, do diet and exercise, or oh, let's give you a water pill, that'll, that'll get the swelling down. Right. But oftentimes it's lymphedema and patients need a very different treatment protocol. Hey amputees, I'd like to take a moment to introduce everyone to the liner wand. We all know how bacteria and odor can be a major issue with prosthetic liners, and the liner wand is the solution. Did you know that if you're using soap and water, you may be making the problem worse? The liner wand uses a patented formula that deletes all bacteria and smells for two weeks. The liner wand is available as an affordable subscription or individually, and it always ships for free. To learn more, visit thelinerwand.com. That's T-H-E-L-I-N-E-R-W-A-N-D.com. Use code 211, that's 211, and receive 50% off your first subscription today. You can also use the code RICK, R-I-C-K, and receive 25% off your cleanser subscription as well. That's thelinerwand.com. need a very different treatment protocol. You know, I, I, I appreciate how well versed you are on your condition. I appreciate that you speak to it in a way that um, completely demystifies the situation. And being able to, to cite statistics, being able to understand what's happening in the medical community, 
um, is such a huge piece of advocacy. And I think the reason why when I was looking at your story and, and you know, hearing you and watching interviews and going, you know, this guy kind of knows his shit. Like he he's not just, <laughs> you know, like he's not just, uh, you know, kind of floundering through this. He's well spoken. Yeah, memorizing a, a brochure. Or exactly. Something. <laughs> he's well spoken. He's well read. He speaks to this. And I can tell that you becoming an advocate for awareness was just a natural part of what it seems like you are as a person to be able to reach out to that community, sort of embrace it and say, hey, you know, let me kind of help you understand this or, or let me help you cope with what you're doing. And I would think at a young age, because you were diagnosed, you know, young, going through any chronic illness, I've talked to uh, very young amputees, I've talked to different people that sort of discover there's this difference going on with me. I mean, mm-hmm. that can make growing up pretty difficult. I mean, what was your experience like as a kid? Because I'm guessing they manage all of this through compression. And I'm sure there's there's different, uh, whether it's, you know, medication. And I'm not super familiar, and I'm going to pretend to be sure. w- with the treatments. But what was that like growing up? Yeah. Um, and I've, I've had several conversations over this past year and, and asked kind of a similar question. And what I've realized now as a 33-year-old patient, at age 11, when I was diagnosed, basically the doctor hands me this trifold and it's basically like, you have lymphedema, what's next? Because, you know, in 2001, the internet didn't have all of the content and the accessibility to content. And even social media wasn't really around then. Maybe Facebook and MySpace and it's very early infancy. So I did not have a support system, a online community. And that trifold brochure that they hand me in a clinic, basically you look at it and it shows the worst case scenarios. Yeah. I mean, patients with elephantitis with huge arms, huge legs, and they tell you lymphedema is progressive in nature and there's no cure. Hmm. Good luck. Oh, and here's the things you need to avoid. You need to avoid bug bites. I live in Houston, Texas, like the mosquito capital of the South. Can't avoid that. Avoid cuts and abrasions. You're a kid. I played football, (laughs) baseball, and basketball. I ride my bike around the neighborhood like, what the hell do you expect? I'm not going to live in a bubble. Right. And they start talking about how you have to wear compression garments and you have to go see a certified lymphedema massage therapist. And there, at the time, wasn't really many surgical options. So basically... At age 11, when this is just unloaded on me, and at 11, where you're already very impressionable and you have big pipe dreams like, I wanted to be in the NBA, or I wanted to be in the NFL, or I wanted to be a movie star because I did theater too, all of these things. And then all of a sudden, I have this diagnosis that basically says, that's not going to happen. Throw those dreams away. But instead of allowing what that trifold told me, what the doctors told me, even what some of my coaches told me, I was bound to become a man at age 11 because that's where I grew up in that moment. And I made a commitment to myself and to my parents and to my friends that I was not going to let lymphedema control me. I was going to control it. I was going to do everything that they told me from compression garments, compression pumps, and certain exercises and diets. So 
basically, um, the journey is very different from patient to patient because as I was mentioning earlier, a lot of lymphedema patients get it secondary to cancer. Mm. So it's like, okay, they've already had this terrible cancer battle and, and Lord willing, they, they win that cancer battle. But now the souvenir is, okay, we cured your cancer, but now you have a lifelong disease called lymphedema. Good luck. And that just doesn't sit right with me. And that's why I really have dove headfirst into advocacy and awareness because, you know, awareness is great because it kind of gets the conversation going. But if you're a patient living with it, you need to be your own advocate because no one's going to fight harder for you than you. So luckily in 2022, we have an abundance of resources online. There's a lot more specialty clinics across the world. So we're on the right trajectory. But if we're thinking of this like an Ironman race or you know a marathon, we're still in very much phase one. Right. So um, it's just knowing that your body is going to change. And because lymphedema is a chronic disease, it does require daily self-care. So if you choose to not wear your compression garments. I got my shrinker on now, but coincidentally, I've been wearing uh, compression garments similar to a shrinker, but for my full leg right. since I was 11. So that's pretty much all I know. So when I heard about the prosthetic process, I'm like, okay, like I'm already used to putting something on every single day sure. because if I don't, you got to bear the, the consequences, which for me is accessible swelling and can be more pain. Right. So I tell every patient that I used to counsel when I was um, selling medical devices for lymphedema patients, the most popular question I got was, well, how often do I have to wear these garments and how often do I have to use this pump? And my follow-up question to them was, is, well, does gravity or lymphedema take any days off? And the answer is no. And I'm sure it rings true also for the amputee community when it comes to maybe doing certain exercises, wearing your shrinker or whatever other components is necessary to keep your extremity at a manageable size so your prosthesis can be functional and fit and comfortable. So I'm looking forward to actually getting the prosthesis and continuing that discipline that's already been embedded in me since age 11. Yeah, and I, I think that's where I, I start to become inspired by you because I'm like, this, this guy's going to smash it. I mean, he's going to crush this thing because he's had this life journey of acceptance uh, taking the initiative, embracing uh, a chronic condition, knowing that it's not easy. It, it requires a lot of self-care. And as I'm checking all those boxes, I'm thinking, well, that's everything amputees have to do. They have to embrace it. And I, I pound away on this, this, whole, this whole concept of day one which is, it's, mm. it's not the day of the surgery. It's the day of acceptance. It's the day that you say this limb isn't growing back. And now I have to get on board. It's a lifelong contract and I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to kill it, you know? And when I think about yourself and what you've been through previous, when you say I'm excited that to me is very inspiring. And those are the kinds of words that newer amputees need to hear. I know that you you have much ground to cover in terms of mm -hmm. your residual limb management, in terms of uh, prosthetics available, liners, shrinkers, you know, uh, skin skin care. I, I mean, the, the the list is is certainly endless. But when I look at someone like yourself, who has that enthusiasm, okay, to say, you know, this is the body God gave me, and I am going to use it 
to the best of my ability. I am going to bring my best self to every single situation. So, you know, becoming an amputee, um, certainly as it was a planned procedure for you, this can still be very daunting. And it can be, I think, again, going back to, there's a lot of unknowns. And right. when you when you think about your recovery, let's say, post-op, I mean, literally days after, um, I've seen some YouTube on you. And I mean, you're you're in a place of, okay, this this is this is not easy. Um, you know, I saw you in a walker for the first time and, you know, that's can be kind of sobering, kind of humbling, like, okay, this is going to, this is, you know, you're kind of getting like your armor on, you know, like, okay, I'm getting ready for battle now. This is going to be rough. So, so if you can take us through how that felt, you know, right after surgery, and I'm sure it's fresh in your mind because you're 30 days out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love what you just said about, you know, preparing for battle, because as you were speaking, it was just kind of running through my mind. One of the terms that the lymphedema community has used is, you know, you're a lymphedema warrior, because when you have a chronic disease for the rest of your life, you have that constant battle. And to prepare yourself and to be in that battle, you got to have a warrior mentality. There's going to be rough days where you're in a new environment. You got to adapt. Uh, your body changes. You got to adapt. Um, there's new, uh, you know, equipment or new technology, you got to adapt. So now that I'm a amputee warrior, I see myself as just now, okay, God has given me a new mission. Here's the new tools. Here's the new destination that we're aiming towards. And so seeing it through that lens has really helped me because like, I, I'm a believer and I'm not shy about my faith. And, and the Bible tells us, you know, you got to put on your armor and you got to go to battle every single day. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy being a lymphedema patient. It's not easy being a amputee patient. But when you, when you have the mentality and the mindset of gratitude and knowing that God gives his toughest battles to his toughest warriors, I see this very much as a blessing, right? Like I feel like in our society, especially my generation and the one even younger than me is, you know, everybody wants to uh, be famous or they want to stand out. But oftentimes the way they do that is by copying other people. And one of my favorite uh, quotes, um, it was in uh, the reliance on uh, self, um, what is it? It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson, but it's basically uh, imitation is suicide to the soul. Hmm. So this gives me an opportunity to be unique, right? And I know there may be other amputees of similar presentations, but like, again, God is putting me through this because he knows I can get through it. And in that journey, I can hopefully inspire a couple of people along the way and, and make them feel like, hey, you know, he did it, I can do it too. And to answer your question about what did it feel like that first moment, you know, waking up from the amputation and, and uh, you know, how did that feel? Well, because I had basically two and a half months to prepare for the amputation, I was working really hard with my personal trainer and, uh, you know, getting my upper body and my core as strong as possible. So those first, you know, weeks and now month uh, post-op, I already kind of had a good head start. But what I wanted to do specifically, because I did speak to a lot of uh, amputees prior to the surgery, is um, 
I had the nurses, as soon as they were transferring me from my uh, operating room bed to then my recovery room bed, I actually wore my night, um, my sleeping mask because I didn't want to look down at my residual limb until the following day because, you know, you're still drugged up from the anesthesia and pain medication. So I didn't want to have it be my first moment in a discombobulated uh, state. So what I made sure was I gave them the directive that when they put me in my recovery room bed, I had them lay a pillow uh, vertically. And when they put the blanket, so when I looked down, I still, it appeared that I had two full uh, able-bodied limbs. And so the next morning, uh, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit more, but we're currently filming a documentary about my uh, journey of the amputation. That's great. And uh, it's actually being filmed by by my church. They have a oh, great production team. That's great. And I wanted my pastor to be there with me the next morning when I looked down at my residual limb for the first time. And so the camera crew's in there, the producer's in there, and then my pastor walks in. And first thing he did is he said this beautiful prayer. And then it was like, okay, here's the grand reveal. Because at that point in time, it had just been research, 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 preparation. But there's nothing that can prepare you for that first moment when you look down. Yeah. And when you look down, it may be denial. It may be anger. Um, for me, it was all those things. Yeah. And so um, having my pastor there and knowing that God's been with me this whole time and he's gone before me, it still gave me a sense of peace. But I removed the blanket, removed the pillow and, and looked down at my residual limb. And um, I was overwhelmed with emotion. Uh, but I'm really good at snapping out of it. Like right now, I'm like oh, in tears. But yeah, no, and, and rightful, rightfully, I know that God so. wanted me to have. I knew that God wanted me to have that moment because one thing that I've I've learned um, in this you know two month journey leading up to it, one of one of the sermons that that my pastor talked about is it's okay to wrestle with God, to be angry, to be frustrated, because that is what really sets up a genuine relationship, yeah. right? Like your friendships aren't always sunshine and rainbows, maybe with your parents, maybe with your coworkers. So if you're religious, your relationship with God shouldn't be any different. So I did have that moment of frustration and anger and bitterness and you know the whole why me? But then when you flip that and you snap out of it and you say, well, why not me? God has already made me strong in moments where I am weak. He is Christ in me and that is always strength I can pull from. So um, after I kind of got the, the cries and the anger, I just quickly, um, you know, call it Forrest Stump and made some jokes. And my pastor brought me a gift and it was uh, literally one sock. He said, I guess you don't need the other one. And we exchanged some other jokes because <laughs> levity has always kind of been a coping mechanism for me. Yeah. And I know it's not for every person, oh, I'm, but I'm, re I'm uh, really, me, I'm really helps. big on one legged jokes, you know. Oh, absolutely. All, all, all so of my friends, just so you know, all of my friends are two-legged freaks. So that's just what I call mm, them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And we're both, you know, on our last leg here. So um, just having that support from not only my, my church, but my friends and family and just strangers online from all over the world. And I know we're probably going to get into this shortly about the whole bachelor side yeah. of things, but that was also the very first time that I had gotten positive press, you know, outlets like People Magazine, US Weekly, um, Entertainment Tonight had finally a acknowledged that I have lymphedema, 
They acknowledged that it is a serious condition. They showed the amputation and they even highlighted my faith, which is unheard of typically for those more left leaning, a little bit more liberal entertainment platforms. Yep. They don't really like to highlight that. So I'm blessed that I was able to have the platform and part of my journey thrown out there for the public to you know, realize I'm not doing this on my own. This is all God guiding me through the journey and, and having friends and family along the way. Yeah. So I know that was a long rant, but that was really my first, no, it's, you know, emotions going yeah, through it's, it. For you to be that transparent, that vulnerable, it's, it's remarkable to me. For you to be able to share that with an audience and for them to know that when I see you in this space, this emotional space, this, this sort of, you know, coming to the truth kind of space, all I see in that cam is strength. That's all I see. Strength. This guy is a, he's a strong dude. He is on his journey and he's, he's just completely real with himself. We're going to take a quick pause and do an episode of Amps You Should Know. When we circle back, stay tuned because when we circle back, we are going to explore Cam's experience with the Bachelor Nation and really in truth how everything has seemed to kind of come back around for him and a lot of the press, a lot of the notoriety that is coming his way is very acknowledging of his journey. Um, and it's, it's, in my opinion, it is, um, it's really beautiful. So don't go away. We're going to be right back. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce our audience to Harry Gibson. Harry Gibson is an 11-year-old Symes amputee. Uh, he's been an amputee for one year. And Harry is an active amputee who faces all of his life challenges head on. I actually discovered Harry through social media. Uh, he is a active, very active, competitive football player and continues to spy, inspire everyone um, that he comes in contact with. You know, when I first discovered Harry, I think the first thing that I noticed is how highly articulate he is how enthusiastic he is, how committed he is to his amputee journey, and that he just seems to radiate positivity. He continues to update us on his journey, and I, I, I really am so excited to see what's in store for Harry as he continues to progress um, into becoming a young man. Uh, I would say if you want to look him up, you will truly be inspired he continues to raise uh, donations for the EAFF camps. And um, Harry Gibson, I mean, just an amp that you should definitely know. Hey, everyone. We are back with Cam Ayala. Uh, we've been talking about his journey medically with lymphedema and certainly most recently his amputation of his right leg above the knee. And I want to go to a place with you, Cam, that has very much captured the interest of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is very much a part of your journey. 
and in my humble opinion, I think very much a part of your struggle mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, life journey and humanity and civility and, I mean, make a list, man. I, this thing kind of put you through the ringer. Um, I, I, I kind of struggled with doing the the show prep on um, your bachelor, you know, bachelorette, bachelor in paradise. That that whole journey to me was kind of gut wrenching mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and you know, to see someone who is suffering from a chronic illness, managing it well, okay, here's this fit, young, good-looking guy, goes on The Bachelorette, you know, sort of kind of explodes on the scene, right? Because, you know, you, you, you had kind of a, a, a remarkable sort of appearance, and then suddenly, like, there's this target on your back. Yep. Yeah, it was like, whoa, what's happening here? And I, you know... Of course, the the first question I want to ask you is, you know, why The Bachelorette? But then if you could kind of walk me through some of how that deterioration sort of occurred, um, if you don't mind. Sure. And obviously, if, if it's not too painful for you. No, um, and, and I do obviously have to acknowledge that without doing those shows, uh, Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise, I wouldn't have the the platform that I now have. So for as bitter as I've been at times towards the franchise and towards that whole experience, again, the older I get, I just realize and accept how um, essential it was to my journey. And I think oftentimes just people in general, regardless of what they go through, um, when you can find the purpose in that pain or, or find um, some sort of positive uh, from that opportunity, then you, you find the ability to, to cope and to move on and ultimately to get stronger. But every person moves differently with that process. I mean, for me, it took really almost three years, actually a little over three years to finally come to peace and get some vindication. So I'll rewind back here and kind of give you from start to finish, uh, again, high level of, of how the whole thing started. So you wanted yeah. to know, you know, why the bachelor ads. So um, this was in 2019, and I was living in Austin, Texas, and I had just gotten out about a nine-month relationship. It was a pretty serious relationship um, in the sense that there was talk about engagement and marriage, but it had to be fast-tracked because my ex-girlfriend um, is Canadian, and her student visa had just expired, and she didn't mm. really do all of the proper due diligence to understand what it took to get a renewal because she was no longer a student. So when she got her visa denied, um, basically she got deported. And the only way she could have stayed in the United States is if we were to get married at like, you know, courthouse, do it fast. And um, unfortunately, when we talked through all the different scenarios, pros and cons, we just realized that, you know, it's not meant to be. And um, she basically got deported and went back to, to Canada. And I really haven't talked to her ever since. So at that point of being, you know, being single and, and living in Austin, where it's very much a kind of a party town, if you will. And the guy to girl ratio is very much in the guy's favors. Um, me and my buddies were just kind of going out and partying. And one night bumped into a, a bachelorette party coincidentally. And one of the girls in that group kind of took uh, a liking and gravitation towards me. And we started talking. Turns out she was a producer, not for the bachelor oh, wow. uh, community anymore. She'd done it in the past, but 
she said, I think you'd be great for the show. And wasn't really something I wanted to get into. I had a buddy who was on it like a couple years prior, but didn't really watch it. It's, you know, in my opinion, more of a, a female targeted audience, but men watch it because, you know, they're probably forced to from their girlfriends or their wives and they just kind of get yeah, sucked in sure. and then watch it. But so she basically nominated me and literally the next day I'm getting a call from an LA area code. And uh, after about a month or two of, of auditioning and, and different casting calls, um, they had selected me. So, you know, you had mentioned, you know, it started out so strong. Well, it's because when I went to the live studio taping, when Hannah Brown was like first publicly announced as the Bachelorette, uh, they basically randomly select, selected five of the 30 guys to come out there and, and meet her basically three days before we went to that mansion, you know, the famous bachelor mansion with the entrances for night one. Okay. So right. I got that head start. And uh, when I met her, the first thing I did was this little freestyle rap or whatever. It's um, yeah. kind of cheesy. I've seen it. Yeah, but it was basically enough to compel her to give me a rose before the show even started, really. And that had never happened yeah. before in, in Bachelor Nation. So you had mentioned having a big target on my back. Well, I did, but also literally had a target on my chest, which was that first rose. So going into the mansion night one, one of the biggest fears for people is getting sent home night one. That's like super embarrassing. But yeah. I knew that I was basically um, affirmed very quickly. And that was very threatening to a lot of guys. So um, that's where... Did you realize it was going to be this competitive? I mean, when you... When you went into this thing, I would think to some degree you're like starry eyed, but at the same time, did you did you have an uh oh moment like, man, these guys are they're coming after me. Like this is not cool. Yeah, I mean, I I knew that that was part of the show, if you will, and what I did just in terms of research when I got casted, it was basically during yeah. Colton Underwood's season of The Bachelor. He was The Bachelor. And so I watched every episode just to kind of get familiar with the structure of the show and kind of see the flow of it. And I, I kind of knew how it worked, you know, high level, you know, hey, there's a bunch of people competing for one person. It gets dirty, especially towards the end when there's like fantasy suites, et cetera, and, and the families are involved. So I knew that that journey had the potential of getting pretty intense. Uh, Volatile. For me, it was intense very quickly because <laughs> of, of getting that right. first rose. Um, but where it all kind of went downhill was about two and a half weeks into the journey. Um, it was right before kind of a group date with all the guys. It was just really heavy on my heart that I hadn't talked about my lymphedema. And I thought that that was important because in the past, I've had these random bouts of infection. Like I, I talked about earlier about lymphedema patients getting random bouts of infection. And through those episodes of infections, when I was dating, you know, girls seriously, uh, the dynamic of the relationship switched. It went from Cam being sure. the guy who's active, athletic, dancing at the bars and going on yeah. hikes on the weekends, going to concerts to all of a sudden, to he's, I, yeah, I he's in the hospital. Out, man. Yeah, he's got to learn yeah. how to walk again. So now I need a caretaker, not just a partner in crime, having a fun time in Austin. So that's actually ruined a lot of my past relationships. So it was something I was very self-conscious about. And sure. I never talked about my lymphedema on my social media prior to the show because it's something I kind of really? hid and didn't want sympathy really? for. And so... So what was... Not to slow sure. you down, but what what was... So you're on the show. You know, I, I would think it's 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 sort of like sensory overload because there's like cameras. You're mic'd like up all, this stuff. all the time, yeah. Yeah, you're mic'd up and there's all this stuff happening. 
I mean, I'd be like hyper self-conscious about how I look and just, just everything going on in your mind. And at some point you go, you know what? I got to, I've got to tell her, I, I, I've got to tell her, like, this is something that if, if I am going to be serious about this, possibly engage someone, possibly marry someone, this is my truth. So in essence, does the bachelorette serve as the catalyst for, you know, for lack of a better phrase, you're sort of coming out and saying, I've got this disease. And, you know, doing that in such a public way, again, again, I go back to strength. Yeah. Um, And you you touched on it perfectly because that's essentially what it was. It was my lymphedema coming out. And being someone who never posted about it to then all of a sudden announcing it to literally millions of people across the world was something that gave me a lot of anxiety because I actually talked to several producers the night before that all went down. And I was like, okay. literally like in tears. It's like, I, I'm, I don't know how to approach this, but I have to talk yeah. to her about it. And, you know, and what were, did they tell you? Did they offer oh, advice or what? no? they were, well, they were basically like, yes, you know, this is what makes you unique. And I said, well, yeah, because to your point, Rick, this was my headspace was if she being Hannah Brown, and myself, we're taking this journey seriously, the end yeah. goal is to be married. And when you're at the altar, and you exchange wedding vows, and you say things in sickness, and in health, I had to make sure that she uh, was aware of the disease and aware of what it's meant in my past relationships. And I actually told her, I said, look, there's several guys out here in this group that are physically stronger than I am, they're younger than me. But I said, look, I have a very different strength. My strength comes from managing this disease that I've had for, at that point, over 20 years. And I have a lot of empathy. Lymphedema warrior. Exactly. And I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for people in general who have any type of disability. So she actually responded very, very well when I told her about it. Unfortunately, literally about 10 minutes later, she goes and has a conversation with another guy in the mansion. And that guy basically told her that, oh, Cam's making up this medical sob story so you feel sorry for him and give him what he calls a pity rose. And first off, the word pity rose never even came out of my mouth. I mean, that was completely fabricated by a guy named Mike Johnson. And then Hannah brings me back and she gives me the whole line, hey, Cam, we need to talk. And Rick, I'm sure you know when a woman tells you that's probably not a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Ruh-roh. Yeah, yeah, that's literally a tell between the legs. And so she's like, she told me, she's like, though I appreciate, you know, your vulnerability and telling me about, you know, your medical journey, um, Mm -hmm. I just have to question the timing of it. It just seems very calculated and, and manipulative and uh, I don't, I don't know. I just need time to think about it. And at that moment, like I just wanted to be done with the whole journey because I'm like, this is the first Ugh. time I've been public about my lymphedema and it's literally being thrown in my face in your face. Yeah. For a freaking disease. It'd be one thing if I was telling a sob story like, Oh, my puppy died or, Oh, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, very, no, this is serious mild. stuff, man. It's I mean, chronic shit. illness. I live with this. Ugh. And so yeah, this is yeah. your this is your whole life. It's your whole life. When someone when someone looks you in the eye and denies you 
what has been your life experience. This is not something that you you found out about a couple months before coming on the show. Right. You had been living with this your whole life. Yep. And then to suddenly be told, well, yeah, you know, it's it seems like you're you're game in the system here, my friend. Yep. It's like really. Yeah. Like, how could you not see, you know, the, the strength and the vulnerability in this, and then for everything to sort of shift to this other space of, it's almost like at that point, everyone's against you. And now it's almost like you're on this mission to prove I have this disease. So like, that's basically what understand. happens. Yeah. So as a result of that conversation with Hannah, I got eliminated that night at the rose ceremony. Yeah. And yeah. I got sent home and just was so furious and sad and all of the things, because when you're out there and when we're filming, you don't get your cell phone. We don't get to watch TV. We have no connection with the outside world. So I didn't have my right. friends or family to confine it. I was just literally so alone. And the producers who claim to be your friend, I mean, it, I get it. It's reality TV. You have to have drama. You have to have personas and characters. And I was painted as a villain at that point in time. Yeah. So regardless of me sharing something very vulnerable like my chronic disease, they had to double down on this villain edit and narrative. So yeah. two days later, when I'm back home in Austin, I'm just like depressed and honestly trying to reacclimate. I have hundreds of missed calls and text messages because when I won that first rose, that aired two months before the show was actually aired out. So all of a yeah. sudden, thousands of new followers on social media, people reaching out that I hadn't heard from in years. And it was just all honestly overwhelming. And then having to grapple with the fact that I opened up about my disease that I'm self-conscious about and I got sent home because of it. So then two days later, I get a call from The Bachelor, one of the producers, and they were already talking to me about Bachelor in Paradise, which is the spinoff wow. show, which, which we recorded two months after The Bachelorette aired. Was that, was that an exercise, you know, again, just my curiosity, Bachelor in Paradise, was that an exercise in seeking redemption? Is that how so you, you yeah, say it? So you, yeah, 100%. And that was, that was the allure. Like the producers that I talked to, like even acknowledged the fact that what happened with me was not fair. And like, I, we can't believe huh. Mike did that. I'm like, well, some producer had to, you know, hoist sure. Mike into doing that or saying that. And yeah. so they were literally, that's what they were saying. Rick is like, you know what, Cam, Bachelorette, it's over with. Honestly, paradise is way more your vibe. There's a lot more girls and guys there, people who've been through the journey just like you. And there's already girls from other seasons that have been asking about you. And they even got me in contact with other men who were on paradise who ended up getting engaged. So the process worked for them. So they pulled a yeah, hard yeah. sell. And yeah. I, you know, like a mouse, I took the cheese and I was like, okay, well, it can't get any worse. So what I'm going to do now is I'm not going to go back to work because I'm going to get paid to be on Bachelor in Paradise pretty well. I'm going to get in the best physical condition I can, and I'm going to find my woman out there. I'm going to yeah. be a proud lymphedema patient, and all is going to be well. Well, fast forward two months later, and I yeah. get there, and just, you know, there was one girl in particular that I was really into prior to filming. And when I met her, she just kind of had already planned which guys she wanted to be with. They had been talking before the show, kind of strategizing. Mm -hmm. So, I just knew that that wasn't the right environment for me. And sure enough, when they edited out me talking about lymphedema on The Bachelorette 
the conversation I had with Hannah, when they edited out me talking about it on Bachelor in Paradise, the last time that I was on TV for the Bachelor franchise was the Bachelor in Paradise live reunion, where they bring the cast members back and they kind of have a recap. Yeah, and they, bl- of it. they blurred out your shirt. I told exactly. So for the people who don't know, I told the producers, okay, I'll come to this reunion, but I'm literally going to make a shirt that says, I have lymphedema, Google it. So you guys can't censor me anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is the thing that I have. I deal with it. And there's 10 million Americans who are just begging to have some sort of representation. And this was really before Bachelor Nation and really our society in general became ultra sensitive to being more inclusive to all sorts of different people, whether it's their gender, sexual preference, disabilities, et cetera. So at that point, I was just being thrown to the side. And when I wore that shirt, the next day when it aired, blurred out like it was some sort of curse word or profanity yeah so that's, that's remarkable i was fired up i was fired no, up. I, I, how could you not be and you know so many of these conversations that i'm having with yourself you know high functioning amputees amputees that live in that advocacy space all of this is about awareness and it is about the normalization of being an amputee So when I look at the cultural shift that's going on right now, especially in this country, when you look at the Paralympic Mm -hmm. Games and you look at some of the ad campaigns that are going on right now, um, amputees are finally being portrayed as these very powerful people. Yeah, they're badasses. We are badasses. They're badasses. Exactly. They go through struggle. They, they, They reach expectations that could have never been conceived. This is not something that is hidden away anymore. Uh, I wear my hardware proudly. I am not uh, uh, nervous about wearing shorts or being in an environment where my prosthesis is, is very exposed. And when, you know, someone asks me, you know, you know, hey, you know, what's this all about? You know, for me, it's, it's just about normalizing amputees and getting people to understand that um, we are just as deserving of all the same jobs, all the same opportunities, all the same relationships, okay, right. that we we can be just as loved as anyone else and regarded in the same way. So when I look at everything you've been through with The Bachelor uh, you know, franchise, and then I see your medical journey— and now I look at you as this sort of fresh, brand new baby bird amputee, right? Because yep. you're 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 just here now. Yep. And I think this is someone that is going to elevate us. This is someone that is going to keep planting those seeds and doing the good work that so many other people that have inspired me, that led me to doing what I'm doing today right? Talking to people, getting the stories out there, creating that advocacy piece, that awareness piece. So when you look at yourself in this amputee space, where do you, I mean, I know you're going to be doing the the documentary um, with the church. So I'm super psyched about seeing that. But where do you see yourself going um, as you acclimate to being an amputee and you know, what's, what do you think the future is going to be like for you? Well, much like just the overall journey with the amputation now and recovery, there's a lot of unknowns. But I think right now, like as you were just saying, 
the inclusion of amputees in the normal types of campaigns. And you even see amputees on American Ninja Warrior, for example. And it's starting I, to I become, interviewed one of them. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's starting to become more normalized. So my goal, my aspirations, and what I truly believe has been a divine plan from God is to really inspire and listen to and serve as many amputees as possible, right? And whether that's having podcast discussions like this, um, next weekend, for example, uh, the Challenge Athlete Foundation is doing a clinic in Houston where I reside, and I'm definitely going to be there. I don't have my, my prosthetic yet, so I won't be like participating in that regard, but I'm going to be networking. I'm going to be right. cheerleading the kiddos, and I, I love pediatrics. So when I was doing lymphedema devices, I got to serve patients that were two years old and all the way up to 92. So I just have this um, desire in my heart to to serve others. And, you know, even the Bible talks about too much is given, much is, is uh, expected. So it's like kind of like with, with Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. So yeah. it's not that I feel an obligation to do this, to be an advocate, to be a voice, to use my platform. I see this as a blessing and it's something that I get to do. And uh, what that looks like, you know, I, I'm not sure. And I'm obviously open to pretty much anything. You know, we're having this conversation. I'm going to that clinic. I'm now very vocal on my social media and I'm, you know, hashtagging amputee and all my posts now because that's now a new community that I'm blessed to be a part of. Um, yep. Several other amputees, uh, Paralympians and other kind of motivational speakers have reached out to me. So we have a couple of side projects right now that were kind of in the incubation phase of thinking what it could and what it will be. And we're just kind of going to put it all out there and, and you know, let God uh, take this wherever it's supposed to go. So um, if there's any amputees that are listening to this, you know, definitely reach out to me on my Instagram. I'm sure uh, Rick will put the notes in there how to find it, but it's, it's Cam Ron Ayala. And, um, you know, there's articles on Google, just Google Cam Ayala amputation. You can see links to my social media there, but I am here for you. I am here with you. And I know that together we're all going to be stronger. Man, uh, Cam, what a great way to wrap up the show today. I can't say it any better. Um, really just phenomenal stuff. And I so appreciate you being here today, taking the time. And, uh, you know, uh, I am so excited to see what's next for you. And I would recommend everyone in the audience you know, follow Cam because his story is going to be something to behold. It's going to be the stuff of legend. And um, thank you so much. Don't be a stranger. I'm hoping that we can talk again when you've, when you've hit, you know, several new milestones and, you know, continue to do all this amazing work. Uh, that's going to wrap it, us, wrap it up for us today. I actually want to give a show credit, a creative credit to Isabella Tricolis. She was very helpful in helping me put together uh, this particular episode with Cam. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I want to wish everyone health and happiness. We'll see you next time.